here, and about the first, or maybe ten verses, something like that, said, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Subject tonight will be doctrine. That aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things shewing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may, may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining or that stealing, but shewing all good fidelity, which is faithfulness, that they might adorn the doctrine of our God, our sa of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. We'll leave off there and go over to the fourth chapter of Second Timothy and read some old scriptures that we could quote from the very beginning, but it has to do with the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul has given Timothy a charge here. He says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come that they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. And I want to turn over to Philippians, the first chapter. And this is just a little bit of add-on that the Lord spoke to me just before I came to church. And it must be a reason for it. And the Apostle Paul is defending here his apostleship and what he writes and what he does. And some of the things that's happened to him. And he says in the 14th verse, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And then he says something that is very disturbing, really. He says, Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. And then he says, What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. I therefore do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word, for the preservation of it, Father, that we might have it for our day. We realize, Father, in it is things that would prepare us for the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and prepare us for the rise and culmination of the Antichrist and make us ready 
and make us children able scholars of you, the Lord Jesus Christ. So penetrate our being tonight. Father, speak to our lives and our heart, and let us learn of you. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We'll be dealing primarily in Titus. But as I read that, I got an entirely different view on Paul's thinking sometimes with individuals. He never bothered himself so much with people that were preaching Christ, even if they didn't particularly like him very much. He wasn't particularly interested in that, and he seems to be saying here to all of us, and I think it's a warning to us. I think God includes warnings in there when he talks about Christ. Now, we're going to talk about doctrine, and you can't talk about doctrine without talking about the gospel, and you can't talk about the gospel without talking about Jesus Christ and without talking about his word. And so Paul is saying now some people even preach Christ out of envy and strife, and some individuals preach him out of goodwill. And one preached Christ out of contention, not really sincerely, supposing to add to his afflictions or whatever, but the other out of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. And then he says, but what difference does that make? In other words, he's saying, I'm not really concerned about that in every way, he's saying, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And so actually what he's trying to tell us there is that we're not to judge who preaches the, the gospel, we're not to judge so much how they preach it or how it comes across if it's God's Word and if it's true and if it's laying axe to axe at the root of the tree and there's nobody that can die, deny it, then we can get in problems if we're not careful when we go against God's Word. He didn't tell us we had to like the individual it was coming from. Amen? He said we had to be sure it was His Word. And we have no right to set in rebellion or rejection when God's word is coming forth, regardless of who it comes from. Amen. Amen. So what I'm saying tonight, and I believe it needs to be said, because I feel like that sometimes we set in jeopardy, and we set in danger, and we set judgmental simply because maybe we don't like some individuals as they preach. That didn't necessarily go for me, could go for Brother Donnie, for Brother Gerald for Sister Heidi, for Sister Wilma, for my wife. And we're not to make a judgment on their life. We are to judge the words that they are speaking. A lot of individuals set in jeopardy because they have made a judgment on somebody's life. They have not measured the words as whether it's truth or not. I think I have challenged everybody here that if I speak words that are untrue, that cannot be backed up by the Bible, then I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you directly. I don't want to hear from you a roundabout way of some of the things you've said or some of the accusations that you have made. I want to hear from you directly. And when you feel like I'm out of the Bible, then I'll be glad to discuss it with you in generality and in the ways. Because like I said, we stand in jeopardy a lot of times, and Paul says we measure God's Word. We see whether God's Word is true or whether it's not. And if it comes off as truth, then we take it. Making a difference whether it come from a Negro or whether it came from a donkey. We have to take it because it's God's word. And Paul says it doesn't make any difference how it comes across as long as Jesus Christ is being builded up. I want to focus your attention tonight 
upon the 10th verse it says simply not purloining or not stealing but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. I want to talk about adorning the gospel, adorning the doctrine. Now, contrary to what some may think, I feel like I'm solid on the doctrine. I feel like there's one gospel, there's one doctrine, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, one God and Father of all, which is through all and above us all and below us all and in us all. <laughs> Amen. And so I think the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ the foundation of that doctrine is repentance, baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for or because of the remission of our sins, and there with a promise that we will receive the Holy Ghost. And then the continuance of that is live a holy life. Find a maturity in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the doctrine or the gospel or that is Jesus Christ himself. And most of us are founded upon the doctrine of Christ. I don't think there's very few of us here, if any, but what hasn't been established on the fundamental principles of the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know what it is. We basically have completed that. But I think Paul is writing and speaking to Titus, and sometimes little words left out mean so much. And he's giving some orders here, and he says... Now, there is reasons for us to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior at all times. So I want to talk about adorning tonight. When we look in Webster's, adorn means to add beauty or distinction to, to decorate. And from the Greek, cosmio means to arrange and means to garnish. It means to trim. It means to make it look good, like somebody would want it. And so not only are we charged to preach and have the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life, but we are admonished to add beauty to it, to add distinction to it, to decorate it, to arrange it in the way that it would look good, to garnish it and to trim it up, and make it so presentable that the world would like to have it. Now you correct me if I'm wrong, but sad as it might be, we have not in the past and perhaps are not yet today adorning the gospel or the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been solid on that. Nobody can move that from us, but we have been in fact dictatorial with it. We have stripped it down until it's not decorated. Stripped it down until we try to make it stand by itself without being trimmed or garnished. And with these words ringing in our ear, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, doctrine is necessary. I want to say that again. It's necessary. It's a foundation. It's a basis for every, our everyday life. But it must be made to appear solid. 
Amen? We can't jump and shout about it one day and fall off of it the next. Amen? We cannot count it as something right real solid and yet have no solidity in us. We cannot say that this is the way, there's no other way without making it appear that it has been the way for us. It is the way for us tonight and it always will be the way for us. Amen. has to be that way and it has to appear lasting. I mean, if it's a foundation of its reality and if it's a truth, it ought to last us. It ought to last us on the mountaintop. It ought to last us in the valley. It ought to last us in our good times and in our bad times. It ought to last us as we walk. It ought to last us as we run. In other words, it should be presented as something that is lasting, that never leaps out, that never comes away from us, and something that is loving, and something that is appealing. Friend, when we present Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world, we ought to present Him as the one that is able to solve all our problems, to heal all our diseases, to walk with us in the desert places, to shout with us on the mountaintops of glory, and to grieve with us in the midst of our trials and our troubles, and get a hold of our hand and walk us through there on the other side of the dark clouds. That's the way Jesus ought to look to the world. That's adorning him. That's trimming him. That's dressing him up. That's making him appear appealing. So we say, how are we going to do this? Well, there are several ways tonight. Some of the things that God gave me was, number one, by our conversation. We can present God in his reality. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your conversation, that's your talk. That doesn't make any difference who you're talking to. That doesn't make any difference about our present life. That means that when we talk about Jesus, that means when we talk about one another, amen, because Christ in you, the hope of glory, that means when we talk about our church and when we talk about our neighbors, it ought to be one that becometh the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. It should be a conversation that builds up Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that builds up our brother and builds up our sister, that takes our conversation and uses it for the upbuilding of God's kingdom and cause, and that's trimming the gospel. That's making it seem solid. That's putting in a reality. That's taking out the visionary aspects out of it and making it something as solid and something that we can present to the world. And I think Paul is challenging us as to our conversations. How do we talk? What is our actions? How do we speak? And knowing who we are, very seldom anybody on in this world, and you're marked, you know that, don't you? I mean, you're a one God, apostolic, tongue-talking individual that believes as one God and believes he's a good God, and everybody knows that. Amen? So our conversation should be that we believe that. <laughs> Hallelujah, that we're standing on that that we have had a revelation of that, and our revelation ought to exalt Jesus at all times. Let your conversation be as one that becometh or adorns the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have to stop and check ourselves once in a while 
And when God was dealing with me on that message, I'm no different from you, I've got to stop and check myself and ask, has my conversation been becoming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have the individuals that I have talked to, or talked about, have I lifted up Christ? Have I shown Him in His reality? Have I adorned? <laughs> have I arranged have I set in order? Have I presented Christ in His solidity and His lasting presence in His loving and appealing manner? Have that came out from me? Is this the way my conversation has been? And is my conversation enough about God? Sometimes when we're outside of our own family, sometimes when we're outside of our own homes, Sometimes when we're in the business world or just meeting people, I think somebody said it tonight, we sit and listen to their views. And sometimes our conversation runs on our political views, <laughs> amen, on our ideas and opinions concerning politics. And that's all right, you can have it, whatever you want it, but never let politics overshadow Jesus Christ. Never let it do away with the Bible. And while we're talking about all of that, is our conversation adorning the gospel? Have we said anything about Jesus? Have we lifted Him up? Have we presented Him to a world that maybe don't know Him in the aspect that we know Him? And can we tell them, look at my life. I am a living testimony of who God really is. I am presenting Him to this world. Adorning Him. Making him appealing, making it becoming. And uh, uh, then 1 John 3.14 says we can adorn him and the doctrine and the gospel by our love. And he says it real plain. He says, for we know that we have passed from death unto life. Now how do we know that? Because we speak in tongues. It's not it. Because we dance and shout. Because we've got our own ideas and our opinions. How do we know then that we have passed from death unto life? How do we know as we stand here tonight whether we're living and dwelling in death or whether we actually have life in our own life? The Bible says it because because we love the brethren. I don't think you could find a better stone garnished and trimmed and hanging on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ than the love of God for His creation. I don't think there's anything more becoming to a lost and to a dying world and to present them what it takes to be saved and tell them in no uncertain terms what it takes to be saved and say it with all the love of God that you can say it with and embrace their life and love them and make God appealing to them. You know, we made God so unappealing. Amen? We made Christian life so unappealing. We made it look like a drudgery by our conversations. Amen? By our actions, we presented to the world a law of legalism. 
that binds us so much and we cannot find the freedom of worship in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have set our ideas and opinions on how an individual ought to dress. Amen, Brother Hoskler. On what an individual ought to say and how an individual ought to act and all of this and squeeze the life out of them immediately after they've drawn their first breath as a child of God. And in this, we have presented an unappealing Jesus to a world. Amen. I'm going to say it again. I'm as solid on the doctrine as you are. I believe it from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. But I think there's a little more to it than just obeying that and laying down legalistic ideas and opinions and trying to bind individuals with those things. If you want to make God appealing, tell individuals about God's love. Tell them how He comes and wipes, as we said this morning, that slate clean. Tell them how He put His loving arms around them in their deeper sin. And however they might look as far as the world is concerned, God doesn't really care. He comes, wraps His arms around them, loves them and saves them. And then, he tells them what's expected out of them. And he reaches out because that doctrine is still adorned and is still trimmed in love. How else can we adorn the gospel? Garnish the gospel and the doctrine a little bit by our faith. The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, Faith can't be faith if we can see it. Amen? And most of us live our life with what we can see. If it's not present here today, and we have faith for it, we expect it to be there tomorrow. Amen? And if it's not there tomorrow, sometimes we run our course and forget the idea that God is faithful. But it simply says faith is a substance of uh, things hoped for. That's our aspirations. That's our dreams. That's the things we want. And friend, if we're settled on the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ, what are we going to want? We're going to want to please God. We're going to walk in His footsteps. We're going to want to love Him. We're going to want to present Him to a lost and dying world. We're going to want to obey Him. And we're going to want to get into the kingdom of God regardless of what it costs. And then it says the evidence of things not seen. I have yet to see my king in glory. I saw him one time in a vision, saw him in his suffering. I'll never forget it. Added more of a reality to my life than anything I know of. I never suspected that he underwent that much agony. I never suspected that he ever looked like he did. But I saw him in his suffering but I've never yet seen him in his glory. I can imagine what it's going to be like, but the only thing that sustains me tonight, the only thing that holds me tonight, is the hope and the faith in his word that he said he was coming again. And if he did, I can rise to meet him in the air and forever be with the Lord. When I lay a loved one down, See them lying there in a casket. 
I know the last, the last time I'll hear their voice here on this earth. That's the last time I'll be able to look at them. Friend, if some hope and some faith don't stay away down deep inside, we would be of all men most miserable. And we look at them and we can't see the kingdom yet. And we know God said that there'd come a time when the graves would open and everybody that's in them would raise to meet Him. And the grave couldn't hold individuals. And that's why faith had grasped hold. And that adorns the doctrine. That makes the doctrine look good. That makes the world want to know about the doctrine. When they watch us and our behavior and know that we put our trust in nothing else but the pure, unadulterated Word of Almighty God. That's all I have. I have never seen anybody raised from the dead. I have never seen anybody buried. I don't have that by eyesight, and neither do you. But we have it because the doctrine and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ said it was going to be. Let hell rage. Let the devil do its work. But Peter said, but today how the Lord will come. I said it will come. I have to know that by faith. And I have to hang that little gem on the doctrine. I've got to put it there. That same thing that says, and I've got to repent and be baptized in His name and receive the Holy Ghost. I've got to hang that faith that someday there'll be a resurrection of the dead and my loved ones will live again. I've got to hang my love on that. And not only is a commandment for me to be baptized, not only is a commandment for me to receive the Holy Ghost, but adorn that thing with the love of God and cover it with God's love and you'll make that thing appealing. People will want it. Come on, saints. You know, as well as I do, and I've been there, and I think I've said it, primary purpose of a lot of us in our ministry with our revelation of Jesus' name was just to skin somebody's hide. Was just to make them look bad. Just make us look scholarly and say, well, it's the truth and they need to know the truth. They need to know it. It needs to be garnished, made appealing with the love of God and with truth laid down before it. You see, we do a disservice to the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is writing to Titus. said, you tell the servants. It has to be you and I. You tell them that they don't steal. You tell them they have to be faithful. And you tell them that the gospel or the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ has to be adorned, has to be appealing, has to be made lasting, has to be loving, has to be arranged in the right way, has to come forth the right way. And faith has to hang up there. Substance, things hoped for. The whole Bible, there's more things in that Bible that I hope for and I've got my grip on, amen? There's more things in there God said would happen in my life than has happened. Amen? So I've got to go on. Arrange faith. Got to have some place for it in there. Because if I preach Christ, I've got to preach Him Faith. i got to believe Him. And it doesn't do me any good to tell people about it. 
Doesn't do me any good to tell my wife that I'm, I've got a new coat for her, but I won't let her wear it. I bought her a new suit, a new dress, but she's not going to get adorned in it. Of course, she's just going to have to look ugly. Amen? And that's the way we made the doctrine of Christ appear. And even Christ Himself, when He says, Adorn, put you on something that makes it look good. Hallelujah. And still, you don't compromise the truth. Amen. Amen. Faith. By your obedience. Paul says something good. Now, you don't have too much to say good about the Roman church. But he does say something good about them as far as obedience is concerned. For it says, For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. In other words, you have not only grasped Jesus Christ, you have not only put Him on, you don't only got settled in the doctrine, but your obedience to His Word has spread around the world. You've made Him look good. You have heard what He said and what He was talking about, and you not just only heard it, but you applied it. And you trimmed that doctrine with your obedience and you made individuals look and realize that, hey, look, this was a God that they loved enough to listen to what He had to say. I've got settled on that basic tenets of faith. Hallelujah. That's been here ever since the 1900s. At 1914, when the gospel of Jesus' name came into being and the doctrine of Jesus' name. And all of those things. And God reveals these things. And the oneness of the God. God reveals these things. But He said you can't forget conversation. You can't forget love. You can't forget faith. And you've got to hang a little ornament on there that's called obedience. Because Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And Paul is saying, your obedience has spread around the world to all men. You're marked by your obedience. Now, you might have faltered in some areas, but you've garnished and shined that doctrine and that, that, that uh, gospel and made it look good to men because they saw you loved him enough to obey him. And Titus talks about adorning it with our self-denial. Amen. Says it in 2 and 12, teaching us. Teaching us. That denying ungodly and worldly lust. Denying. Ungodly. And worldly lust, which is going to penetrate the heart of every individual sometime, someplace, somewhere. Don't sit there pious and self-righteous to me and tell me you never had one you wanted so bad 
self-denial which garnishes and shines the doctrine. It says you're going to deny these things. You're not going to allow them any privileges in your life whatsoever. And you should live soberly and righteously and godly tomorrow, yesterday, when we get to heaven. In this present world, shine it up. Make him look good. Put it where it needs to be. And let individuals know that not only do you have, not only do you talk about, but it's inside of you enough to rule your life. Enough to cause you to put aside everything else. Christ first. The world wants to see what we talk about. The world wants to know where is that Christ you talk about? Where is that life that you talk about that you need to live? Where is that Jesus that dominates your life? Where is that doctrine that saves? Shine it up. Real good. Shine it up by your self-denial. Let the world see. And what they have will take them nowhere. But what you have will cause them not only to inherit the kingdom of God, it will cause you to live soberly and you to live righteously and for you to live godly in this present world. Right. And then last but not least, by our diligence, you have to be diligent. He goes on to say in the 13th verse, Looking. Looking. It seems to me that the world has got tired of looking. What about you? It seems to me like we've lost track of the fact that Jesus is coming. It seems to me like the church world has settled in a lull that says He's not going to come for a while. And so we'll get everything out of our way and we'll do our thing. And then when the time comes, then we'll start making things right with God. The Bible warns us of an attitude like that. The Bible tells us that we garnish Christ with a diligent fact that when He left and said, the way you've seen me go away is the way I'm going to come again. And Titus says, looking for that blessed hope. Hope stirs inside, friend. Hope stirs inside. But it won't when the world is going cockeyed. When the world is going haywire. When it doesn't look like there's one thing that we can do to correct the situation. Hope stirs inside to know that there is one that has the answer. There is and cry and correct the situation. Whatever it might be. I don't look for a righteous kingdom until Jesus comes and splits eastern skies and sits on his father David's throne. But hope stirs inside. Hope garnishes the doctrine. Hope makes alive the doctrine. Hope makes bright Jesus Christ. So I realized the whole world 
is out of kilter. I'll say it again, the whole world is qualified. There's nothing good and right about it. We look for judges and there is no justice. We look for sin to have some place where it has to be called sin and we can't find out. We look for, an, for something that's even and it's uneven. And we look at a world that's going down, down, down. And we look at our nation which is founded upon the principles of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we look at that. We see praying people and we know the church is inspired and we know it prays and we know it's the only thing that's keeping us from going down and we watch it continually sink and we look around in utter confusion and we say God can you put a stop to that but inside looking for that blessed hope for that blessed hope hope springs eternal thank God hope is inside of us that says regardless of what the devil does and what the world does it can't take away the hope of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ God says let hope spring within us and when the world is in darkness we are children of the light hallelujah we see a light inside. And it shines, friend. Diligent. Diligent. In spite of everything that says no, he's not coming. We look for that blessed hope. Hallelujah. And that glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who said one time, when he lifted his hands and blessed him. Hallelujah. The Bible says a cloud received him out of their sight. And they didn't see their master anymore. They didn't necessarily know what was going to happen. But he left them with a promise. The Bible says old scriptures. They stood gazing up into the heavens. And while they stood gazing, so urgent was the message. So urgent was it. And they get to the uh, upper room in Jerusalem. So urgent was it. Had they fulfilled God's commandment. Had God sent an angel. And talked to them. And said this same Jesus. That you've seen go away. A cloud received him out of their sight. And that same Jesus is going to appear in like manner. As you've seen him go away. And one of these days. Uh, I'm going to be standing. Gazing up in. And watch a cloud. And I'm going to watch it split open. Revealing the face of the Son of Man. Coming in power. And in great glory. I want to be able to look up and say, Jesus, I welcome you. I welcome you. Not only have I made the doctrine intact and sure, I've adorned it with that blessed hope. And I've let the world know. I've let them know. This world like it is can't stand. It won't get no better. <laughs> is there any hope in that? It won't get no better until Jesus comes. He's got the answer. In those nail-scarred hands, He holds the answer. In that spear-pierced side, He holds the answer. 
in those feet that is nailed and pierced to the cross. It's the answer. It goes on to say, who gave himself for us. Our friend, that memory ought to never die. That ought to be a hope springing eternal. That friend, one day, 2,000 years ago, he loaded my sins and my guilt and mounted the cross of sin and shame. And there he paid the price. And he bought me. I belong to him. He's my life. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us. From all iniquity. Every sin. Every iniquity. Every immoral act or deed that I ever did. I ever would do. He redeemed me. He washed me. Hallelujah. He made me clean. And purify unto himself. A peculiar people. Friend, how much more peculiar can you get than loving in an unloving world? Than being obedient in a world filled with disobedience and it's everywhere. Hallelujah. In a world that's filled with seeking for itself to deny yourself and by your diligence I'd keep saying in spite of the fact that people said for years he's coming. I know. I think even the apostles when they were preaching thought he would come in their day. Every generation since then has thought that he would come in their day. My father laid down on his deathbed thinking Jesus would come before he would have to die. I've heard it time and time and time again. It's enough to distract. It's enough to destroy. It's enough to make us turn loose of the doctrine had it not been garnished with hope. Springs eternal. That some way digs way down deeper the inner core of self. Says regardless of what it looks like. If he said it, I believe it. And I'll wait for him. Hallelujah. Standing in the midst of a world that is filled with hopelessness. And we have the audacity to let hope build in our chest and swell us back. Say, let this world disappear. Greater one than ever is coming. Purifying into himself a peculiar people. I've told you how peculiar that must seem to a world. Friend, we're nearing the end of a 2,000 year period. If I live my allotted days, I will probably be alive in the year 2000. Everything that I have heard from a child up tells me that Jesus will come at least by then, if not before. I asked a preacher one time, they had been dealing on this subject. He, of course, had followed the commentaries and all of this and listened to the gospel. I said, I want to ask you something. Seriously. 
What's going to happen to your people and the people all over the world if Jesus doesn't come before the year 2000 or in the year 2000? What's going to happen? But you see, if this thing is trimmed in hope, if it's not by itself, if we hang love on it and make it look good, if our conversation points to it and it garnishes and shines Jesus Christ, if our faith springs eternal, if our obedience is there and our self-denial is there and our diligence is still looking for Him, it shouldn't make one ounce of difference whether He comes in my lifetime or whether he comes a thousand years from now, this one thing I know, when I lay down to my rest, I lay down in the arms of a heavenly Father that loves me and takes care of me, and when that time was to come, and I am not living, and I am in the grave, the Bible tells me that nobody anywhere is going any place until I get up out of the grave and I'll go with them to meet Jesus. Whether it's a thousand years or a million years, something inside of me gives me hope to know that things are going to be better. Why do I believe that? Why do I say that? Because this Bible says it over and over and over again. And it garnishes and shines Jesus Christ. And it makes Him alive. It doesn't strip Him. It doesn't make Him look bad. It makes Him look good. Let's adorn Him tonight. Let's make Him look good to the world. Make Him look good to us. Make us want Him. Plant our feet. Hear me, saints. Plant our feet on Him so solid. Do what Revelations cries out. Hold fast to that which Thou hast, that no man take your And he's coming in his beauty. But just don't let the world have to guess what he's going to look like when he comes. Best dress him up in love, in faith, compassion, in obedience, self-denial, and diligently looking for his coming so the world can see him adorned like he is. I think Revelations says in one place, John says, and I, John, saw the city. It was an abused man. It was a man that was out of his time, out of his league. He was believing upon a Christ of Calvary when the majority of the church world had turned him loose. John the Revelator was still believing. 
They tried to kill him and they couldn't kill him. Tried to boil him in oil and he wouldn't die. So they said, we'll just put him on that lonely island, Patmos, right where God wanted him. He could have stripped Jesus of everything. Said, oh, woe is me over here by myself. And all I ever did, God, was to upbuild your kingdom because here I am now with nobody to preach to. Nobody to talk to. It's unfair, God. I shouldn't be here. But instead, the Bible says, John said, I was in the Spirit. Oh, the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. I was in the Spirit. Hallelujah. There by Himself. Uh, Brother Tom, there without even a home, without any clothes whatsoever, except maybe what's on His back, with everybody against Him, and He still said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. That's where we ought to be. Hallelujah. On the Lord's Day. Hey. In the Spirit. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. And then He said, I saw something. Yeah. That city. New Jerusalem. Not old Jerusalem in its bondage. Had held his children in bondage. Had said you got to do this and you got to do that. And you got to do something else. But New Jerusalem. Coming down from God out of heaven. How did it look? Prepared as a bride. Adorned. Adorned. For her. You wouldn't want your bride to come out with a feed sack dress on. Amen. Now would you? Not if she could do better than that. You wouldn't want her to come with her hair uncombed. You'd want her to come sparkling and bright. And with that wedding garment adorned. Hallelujah. Adorned. You see, they couldn't see what was inside of her because the doctrine was inside of her. It was in there that you could see what the doctrine brought out of her. You could see outside. The world can't see what's in there. You know, you feel it, but the world can't. You have to get something outside of you that the world can see it. Jesus is coming. He's left us the wedding garment. He said, Now, bride, another thing now, too, the groom don't go in and dress the bride. So, a lot of you, bride of Christ, waiting on God to dress you up, He ain't going to do it. No, that's not kosher. He just won't do that. But he's furnished you. Eastern customs, they did this. You see, now uh, the bride has to take care of her own clothes, take care of all of her maids and weeding or whatever. But it wasn't, wasn't that away, and the Eastern customs still isn't. The bridegroom takes care of everything. All expenses. Takes care of the wedding garments. Takes care of the clothes that it takes for the servants and the guests to come in. Those are provided there at the at the door. Everything's taken care of with the bridegroom. 
And he says, now you've got to dress yourself. You've got to put it on yourself. And if you come out looking like gravel Gertie, I'm not going to marry you. <laughs> Some of you young people don't even know who gravel Gertie is, do you? But if you come out looking like some old hag, just because you were too contrary, too rebellious, to wear what God told you to wear, I ain't going to wear that. I look just as good like this as I do the other way. Preacher can't tell me how to dress. Preacher's not telling you how to dress. The Bible is. Amen. Telling you what you need in your life. Telling you how to dress. So when Jesus comes, He's going to see you as a bride adorned. Oh, how pretty. <laughs> Hallelujah. I have to sit back and look how beautiful. How beautiful is that going to be? The doctrine and the gospel of Christ. All on the inside of us, all of these attributes. Thank God shining us all up. White apparel. Hallelujah. Purity and white. Because He's made us that way. He's cleansed us. As far as He is concerned, we're virgins. He's coming for us. And He just can't wait to see us. He just can't wait to see us. But He's tearing now. Because He don't want to be disappointed in His bride. He wants her to look like he left for her to look. Everything laid out just right. Great train following that white wedding dress. Yes, maids in waiting, shouting and talking about the beauty of this bride. How beautiful she looks. Read the songs of Solomon one of these times. And how beautiful she looks. How God's going to make love to her. Hallelujah. When she comes perfect in her beauty, adorned, waiting, believing, cleaning up, washing with fuller soap. Hallelujah. So there's not, oh, look, look, Mom, look at me. Is there a spot on me? Is there a blemish on me? I'm going to meet Jesus. I don't want to meet Him with anything like this on me. Do I look presentable, Mother? Do I look presentable? Church, we've got a job. Adorning the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand with me. Musicians, come for a moment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to say it again. Peculiar people. Peculiar. They look at you like you're crazy. When you laugh in the midst of a storm. How can you do that? Because you know that the storm's going to be over one of these times. How can you hang on to something that's never happened? You're peculiar, all right. How can you love in the midst of an unloving world? You're peculiar, all right. How can you believe when there's no belief left? But yet you do. You're peculiar. God has said, that's what I've done for you. I've cleansed you, washed you, and made you peculiar. Let's sing some good song. Let's meet here at the altar. Let's don't hang our heads.